Welcome to Filled to Flourish with Luke and Lauren. Where emotional health takes a stage and your story matters. Hey y'all, we're back together today. Luke and I, um, I hope you had a chance to check out last week's episode about uh, physical health, the physical health of the brain. I had a really fun time putting together the information for that and I hope it was valuable to you. It was a very good podcast. If you guys haven't heard it, check it out. Thank you. I learned a lot of new things and reminded of others. Yeah, I'm glad that you approved. I I did. (laughs) But we um, were excited to be getting a chance. It's been hard to find time to podcast and we love doing this and we just get such amazing feedback from you all. So we're excited to talk about this topic, but I do want to say a little disclaimer. We're also terrified to talk about parenting and we've been avoiding it from the very beginning <laughs> yeah it's a it's a tricky topic uh, it's like parent i always tell people parenting is the hardest thing i've ever done ever ever and most time we're guessing mm-hmm. and reevaluating continually and talking like if you wonder when you hear us sharing like I just want to tell you, we struggle and fail with parenting every single day. So much, so, so much. And um, we want to be authentic in our our sharing. So I think that's why we feel hesitant to talk about this because we don't want to present something that we're not. But a lot of this is something that we're moving towards. We're wrestling with, we're learning about, we're moving towards, we're applying, experiencing with. Yeah. Whether it's super hit or miss or not, like we're there. We, yeah. We're totally there for it. Yeah. It's just that it's painstakingly hard for us. And so that's actually why episode like this is important. Story-informed parenting. What does that mean and how do we parent? in a way that takes into account a full account our stories yeah yeah we've talked so much about stories and how it impacts different parts of our life and to talk about story as how it impacts our uh, us as parents Mm -hmm. it's uh so important and i didn't understand what that meant Mm -hmm. even four or five years ago yeah Back then, I felt like my story and experience was just disconnected to my yep. desire to parent. It was in the past. Yeah. But as we've dug into our story, as we've understood our story, as we've tried to connect our story with how we interact with our children and understand that it is extremely connected and extremely important for us to investigate. And so yeah. we just want to bring this to you guys and as parenting is difficult and most people I, I yeah. talk with about parenting it, it, people struggle yeah there's challenges um so we just like to share a little bit about what we wrestle with and how we've what we've learned and has helped us but also just to know that we are joining with you mm-hmm. in this journey you're not alone in you're this not. struggle of parenting i find it so funny that before you have kids you really do think parenting is about 
um, you know, nursery room setup and crib selection. And um, are they going to be daycare or home? Are they going to, are they going to, you know, get earrings when they're 10? Are they going to allow to get earrings as a baby? Like these things seemed like big choices. And I'm not saying that none of them have weight or value, but as you get into parenting farther, maybe beyond toddler years, you're like, oh, I feel like there's this collective, oh, parenting is about guiding these little humans to become healthy, well-regulated, kind, loving, capable adults, yeah. essentially. Right. And that is the most daunting task in the world because kids are impulsive, uncaring, self-centered. Uh, I want it now. I do what I want. Deceptive, mean, angry, have no control of their emotions. I mean, they come out like <laughs> very unfinished. Yes, un unrefined for sure. And it's our job yeah. to help get them there. And even before toddlerhood, we see the uh, inability to regulate. Mm -hmm. Like they're crying, they're unhappy, they need this, they're very demanding, they uh, can't do anything on their own. And so that's like a different than what you're just talking about, but seeing how much they need us and mm -hmm. how much they need, we need to work with them and for them and attune and guide. And because mm -hmm. uh, as we mentioned before, like. Attachment starts at birth. Before and, birth. And today we will talk about even more <laughs> even before birth. So when does parenting actually start, Luke? Well, some of you may have heard me say that the first thousand days after conception are the most uh, foundation. That's when the foundation of optimal neurodevelopment is, is established. established and that mm -hmm. foundation is laid yep. for the entire life. Mm. So that's before birth. No pressure. No pressure. But I would even push back that parenting starts even before conception. Okay. And Do share. Before marriage. Huh. And parenting happens, good parenting happens when you start looking at your story and unpacking why you do the things you do and why you respond the way you respond. Because... When we're dysregulated, we are responding out of our story towards our kids. And I don't know who out there is listening, but think about how you parent. When you get dysregulated, when you get triggered, when you lash out at your kids, respond disproportionately. Think about why did you do that? If you've done story work already, that question might be already going through your mind. But think about why you, those things make you angry mm -hmm. and, it, and it's can be tracked to your story or your insecure attachment, your inability to regulate caused by insecure attachment or dysregulation. And we have been parented, have been given lack of tools as children and grown up as an adults trying to now parent with those lack of tools. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so if we can't just, we can't regulate ourselves without kids yeah <laughs> how are we going to be able to regulate ourselves in the midst of all those things you said immaturity disrespect uh they don't have the scaffolding they don't have the tools selfishness um going yeah. on and on every basically every bad trait of humans right 
is like found in a little kid. Can be found in kids. <laughs> yeah. And we see them in an adults. We get disregulated by them. We get right. triggered by them. We we see those people like oh, I can't be in a relationship with them. Even people like you're not even close to. You would just stay away from. Right. But then you put this kid in your home that you're you biologically to related to, live with them. or an adoptive parent to, and they're yours. And you're responsible. Holy smokes! Talk about the perfect storm. Yeah. So back to what you were saying with with conception to birth also being those nine months also being super important. Um, it, it's so, uh, we actually learned this when we did our first adoption, which was a domestic infant adoption of our son. We learned that that time frame by Karen Purvis, who is an incredible, um, hero of therapeutic parenting, uh, she's passed since, but basically, uh, we learned then that those months are intricately connected to how that child will be in future years. Yes. And so what they've seen in the research of neo, you know, not neonatal, prenatal brain development is the neurotransmitters that the mom has, the balance or lack thereof, is found in the baby in, in utero. So that baby is like adopting those same neurotransmitters from the mom. So if the mom has low serotonin um, or, or high dopamine, which is a, a stimulating neurotransmitter, that or, baby is going to as well. Or a high stress, horm- a stress hormone. Right. So also stress hormones, um, cortisol, epinephrine, norepinephrine, which uh, epinephrine and norepinephrine are also neurotransmitters. But if these stress hormones are high on a consistent basis or even, you know, just often during pregnancy, the baby's brain development will be affected by that the, the washing over the brain of those um, fight or flight hormones. And so your baby isn't a blank slate. Your baby isn't a blank slate. Your baby is an accumulation of nine months of growth and development physically and neurodevelopmentally. So their mental health, their regulation, their behaviors, that is also from their entire nine months of development. And we just, we learned that kind of firsthand when we brought our son home, you know, what people assumed was a blank slate at two weeks old. He was, we had already had two babies and um, he was our third and we just realized pretty quickly how tightly wound he was. He was very anxious, like his little body almost held the anxiety. And um, we had to hold him a lot. And we really didn't know much about this then. I wish we knew more, but we we had to attune really uh, consistently to his needs to try and have him regulate off of us. Um, over the first couple of months, you could see his body start relaxing. It was slow, but yeah, it definitely happened. But that was a newborn baby. Right. But his story didn't start with us. Oh, yeah. Babies are not blank slates because we're not blank slates. Yeah. And so that's why it's important. That's why I say parenting starts before conception because our dysregulation, our neurotransmitters, our mental health is transferred to the baby mm-hmm. as the, the woman is pregnant. Yeah. So if there's conflict in the house or an abusive spouse or a disconnected yep. spouse or no employment or any of the other major stressors, the baby is uh, experiencing all of that. Yeah. In, impacted. Right. And those brain, the brain development in those months is profound development. Yeah. 
Yeah. So the woman's carrying the baby, her mental health is important for the baby. But the male who the father of the baby is his mental health is just as important mm -hmm. because if he's dysregulated, if he's abusive, if he's emotionally disconnected, the mother is going to experience that. So there's an importance for the male to be addressing his story so that he can learn the tools that he needs to regulate himself in possibly a stressful situation. If the pregnancy is uh, unexpected, if the pregnancy is out of, out of marriage, if pregnancy happens and there's low employment or no employment, all these things are going to trigger us in a way based on our attachment, based on our ability to regulate. And if we're living out of that stressful experience, the baby is also living in that stressful experience. Which reminds me of um, all the scenarios that can play out at birth as well. Yeah. So this has been probably in the last couple of decades, they've realized that there's something called birth trauma. And so just because the baby doesn't have memories, the birth experience and the subsequent medical interventions that need to happen during and after can have an impact upon the baby's neurodevelopment as well. So, you know, think of um, the amazing advances we've made for ICU, uh, for PICU, for babies that are born really small, but then they have to be in incubators for months. Um, and they're making huge strides with this, giving skin to skin, kangaroo care, having the mom nurse as much as she can as soon as the baby's old enough. But there's so many things that can happen at birth um, to, you know, even our biological children that are not the way it's intended to promote optimal attachment and neurodevelopment. Yeah. And with that in mind, I think it's really important. A lot of people say, my kids had no trauma. Nothing's, nothing's been wrong with my kid. Um, they've had a good life. Okay, well, make sure you're taking into account those first couple months right. because that time frame has been shown to have a significant impact as well. Yeah, we, we share this not to say like something that you did something wrong when right. this happens. It's, right. It's, we have to take this into consideration. Yep, it's just part of the story. And we want to embrace our story and not fear it. Right. Because awareness, it brings empowerment right. to, to change and to help. Just like our stories, if we ignore parts of our stories that are hard and say they're not valuable, then we don't know the impact that they have. Mm -hmm. So if we look at births the same way, that's they were too young or that was just, I don't want to think about it then we may ignore a piece of the puzzle for our children's dis, uh, dysregulation or story. Yeah. Um, and if that does play a part and they are more dysregulated, they're more anxious, they're more uh, behavioral, that's going to infect us if yeah. we haven't addressed our story. And even if we have. Even if we have, <laughs> right. It's going to affect us. It depends on how much we've done a story, how much it's going to affect us. So you talk a lot about turning inward, knowing your story, doing the work, continually doing the work, really. It's yeah. never over. No. Um, so why, can you give us some examples of how that could play out? Like, why would that flow into the relationship with your kids? Right. During this last couple of years, several years, I've not only looked at it presently, but I've looked at it past. So we've, we have a 13-year-old. Mm -hmm. And so I've been looking at my story for like three or four years um, in, in detail. Yeah. And so I'm looking at how I'm interacting with our children now. 
from the perspective of story, but I also look at it, mistakes I've made in the past and like, like at once the kids were already here. You're right. Saying. Right. Okay. Like as a, as a parent, I have children. I get dysregulated. I responded. I over respond. Why? I look now I'm looking back at the time. It was just like, I just, I over respond. I'm sorry. It was just the situation. Right. Like kind of look down the surface. Right. Okay. And now I'm looking at behind some of those situations and it was so much more than that. Uh, so there was situations with like stress. I'm stressed at work. I'm stressed at school. My kids are being kids. <laughs> they don't listen or they're making a mess or they're being loud. I lash out because I don't have the, I'm out of my window of tolerance. Mm -hmm. I'm dysregulated. Don't have the tools to regulate myself. I lash out because I'm overwhelmed. So like as a toddler, that's kind of might be what it looks like. Yeah. But if I looked at my story, I understood now what I know that stress dysregulates me or like certain stress or mm -hmm. I have a, like ADHD, anxiety, mm -hmm. depression. If I had that language and understood it, I could parent from that perspective. Yeah. Um, I could do the things I do now to take care of myself. Um, then there's like personality. Some children have strong personalities and they want to argue. Mm. Like we have a child <laughs> that... Uh, I, I really just think he just has strong opinions and a strong personality. He's not trying to be disrespectful. He has opinions. And we can logically say that right now right. in a quiet room without him arguing in our face. Yep. But the reality is when that happens, it is almost impossible for us to not it feels be that. triggered. Yeah. Um, which is problematic when that's someone's like default disposition. So mm -hmm. you're going to see it often and you don't want to be like, we don't, we're trying to get to the place where we can regulate internally regulate ourselves enough that we aren't constantly triggered by those behaviors. Yeah. It's that being able to allow them to have hard emotions, mm -hmm. like the big six of Adam Young mm -hmm. and um, difficult behaviors. Right. And that is really hard for me. Yeah. That interactions. And I think, and another interaction is like sibling dynamics. Uh-huh. One sibling, an older sibling mistreats a younger sibling or takes advantage of them or uh, mistreats them, talks harshly to them. Most people will be like, that's, you shouldn't do that. It is a trigger for me because mm -hmm. my story is my oldest brother did those things to me and my siblings. Mm -hmm. Um, mistreated us, bullied us, verbally abusive, like just really dysfunctional interactions. Yeah. Whereas our children, I really don't think they have a malicious intent. Right. But their own dis dysregulation or mm -hmm. justice child, leader. In childishness. Yeah, in childishness. That triggers my, my story. I have to advocate for the ones being mistreated. The, the ones that don't have the power because I didn't have the power. I was looking for somebody to jump in and protect me, yeah. advocate for me, uh, not allow the mistreatment. And so if I address that trauma and that wound, I can help bring regulation to myself. When you see that happening. When I see that happening mm -hmm. with, within our, our, our children. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's super helpful. I think, um, 
knowing there's so many variables with our kids, the age of them, that they're at in a certain certain season, their gender, their personality, their specific needs or struggles, birth order, sibling dynamics, like you were just talking about, all of these things and, and more yeah. have the unique potential to trigger us based on our story with those things the age we were when certain things happened in our story, yeah. our gender and the, the genders of our other siblings and the birth order of our other siblings, our personality. And if it was seen or missed or how it went up against our parents' personalities, our needs that were unmet. There's so much there. There's so much. I mean, we could go on and on, but it's unique to us. Which is why you can't just read a book about it. You need to know right. your story. <laughs> you need to be willing to reflect mm -hmm. and have a buy-in that I really need to understand my hurts. I need to understand how I was missed. I need to understand how my parents let me down. Because that is going to, that has given us the brain framework, yep. the brain neurotransmitters to then interact with our children. Before we're parents, we think, oh, we're going to love our kids, but there's nothing going to come between that yes. relationship. Yes. I'm just going to always just have this compassion and yeah. gentleness towards them. That parental like fierceness will always take precedence right. and I won't hurt them much. Right. <laughs> and, um... and when we're dysregulated, that all goes out the window. Yeah. There's specifics about our story that our children are going to touch on. Yes. Mistreating us. Like yeah. when you're you're bullied or you were mistreated as a kid, if your kids talk back about to you and, and disrespect you and you interpret it that, it's going to trigger that. And you're going to lash out. You're going to over-respond. But also, like I was mentioning earlier, when they were younger, it was more regulating my life outside of parenting than affected my parenting. If school was too much, if work was too much, if we weren't getting along, there's a number of different things that if I couldn't regulate myself, if I was feeling shameful, if I was feeling judged mm -hmm. and our kids did something, yeah, it was all of that was thrown at them. Yeah. It is so sad. Like not, we, we don't need to shame ourselves, right. but the kids are the vulnerable parts of the family system. Yeah. And they really do get the brunt of what we're going through. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Which sucks so much because they're the ones who don't even have the capacity to know how to handle it. Nope. And we expect them, especially like you mentioned birth order. There is something to birth There's order. There's some that that research is legit. Yeah. <laughs> Holy like, cow. We have such high expectations of our oldest. Yes. Our oldest biological. Right. Yeah. And it, we've had him since, since he was like two. Like we expected him to be so much more mature as a five-year-old than our youngest. He was five. Like, oh, wait, he's five. Right. Of course we, he can't do this. Right. But our oldest biological was like, oh, he's five. He should be a, once he's starting algebra. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is bizarre. And then we put that pressure on him. Like, why can't you do this? And we look, but if we take a step back, like, wait, I can't do that. I can't regulate myself. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, he's throwing a fit? Of course he is. I'm not on the floor pounding my fist on the floor crying, but I am being passive aggressive. Yeah. I'm yelling. I am. I'm doing other I'm, just maladaptive things. Yeah, I'm pouting. <laughs> like, 
but yet we expect our kids to have it all together. Yeah. And future podcast episode, we might talk more about that of mm-hmm. scaffolding kids and yeah, realistic expectations. Good. Yeah. But we need to be able to regulate ourselves so that we can have realistic expectations for our kids. Yeah. Because really, when it comes down to it, a lot of the expectations is convenience. Mm-hmm. Like we don't want to be inconvenient, inconvenienced, yeah. and we want things to go smoother, so, so that we, we don't feel we disregulated. Feel, we feel regulated, yeah. Right. So we can stay in our window of tolerance yep. easier. <laughs> exactly. And we try to control that. And when we yeah. can't control other human beings, imagine yeah. that, we get frustrated and we get angry at them, and we get dysregulated and we act in dysfunctional, dysregulated ways. Yeah, I'm just, I'm thinking about, I don't know if you are drawn to those weird, morbid documentaries and movies where parents are like, you know, mentally ill and do terrible things to their children and such. I've seen a few, but apart from overt mental illness, which often has its roots in trauma, most often, um, most parents absolutely want to be good parents. Yeah. They love their kids. They want the best for them and they do not want to hurt them. But I'm just going to ask you a question, Counselor Lou. <laughs> How many parents actually do that? Are good parents that don't consistently hurt their kids, that attune well, that have their best in mind and follow through? And hurting their kids emotionally, relationally, right. anyway. Right. I haven't met one. Yeah. Parenting is this incredibly hard right. and complicated. And you put like one kid is hard because mm-hmm. you have your own story and it's going to be interacting. Yeah. But then you put different, another, one. another kid in with different needs, different emotions, different personalities, different experiences. And they dysregulate each other all day long. And then they <laughs> dysregulate each other, but also dysregulate you in a different way. Right. It seems hopeless to be a good parent. It does. But it's not. It's not. And I'm not saying that to be like, there's a fine line between having compassion for our parents and Mm -hmm. their stories and also having the boundaries we need so that our needs are met in healthy ways in those relationships. But the reality is why this matters. I'm kind of bringing in the like, why? Why does it matter? Because so many parents just lived their lives, responded to their day, and in the process were dysregulated out of their window of tolerance all the time, mm-hmm. and their kids bore the brunt of it. Yep. So whether that meant they they were tucking a minute to, to bed at night and saw that they had a crappy day and they just didn't have it in them to sit on the bed and ask them what's wrong. Like those yeah. are the things over time that make our story exactly. that make our childhood, which makes our adulthood. And the, it's not that parents don't care. It's that they didn't have the self-awareness of their internal world to even know what the heck they were doing to their little people. Right. And so we're so passionate about this while we fail every day. Yes. We're so passionate about it because it matters so much. Right. If we can know and bring that awareness in. Yeah. We can love in such a better, healthier way. Yeah. I mean, Adam Young talks about uh, intentional, the intentional choices of our parents hurting us. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't mean like every parent is 
a sociopath. Right. He's saying that every parent sits on that bed and sees their child needs to talk. Yep. Then chooses to, at some point, chooses to get up and walk away. That's because, intentional harm. Because they didn't have the capacity to do it. Yep. So we all do that in some way. At some point, it may not be that bed situation, maybe another situation. We all make that choice of, I don't have it in me to attune. And so it's not about getting things perfect. It's about having that insight of our story and realizing I need to regulate myself and prioritize my child. Mm -hmm. I need to understand why I'm dysregulated so that next time I don't over respond and hurt my child. Yeah. And when we do, like Adam Young says, repair. When we don't do the thing we needed to do yeah. and we did harm our kid, repair, repair, repair. That's saying, what makes or breaks a healthy yeah, relationship. Saying sorry when you make a mistake as a parent is what decides whether an experience stays as a trauma experience or gets healed and is, the child is able to move forward from that yep. experience. It's like it can be resolved in the brain okay. and just uh, set aside. Yep. It's no longer a big part of the puzzle. Otherwise, it gets stored in the brain and in the body until it needs to be, it gets addressed. And if it doesn't get addressed when it comes out, it goes out sideways. And that's where dysregulation is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we just can't stress enough from a developmental reality with our children um, how important it is to have the awareness into our stories so that we can then parent from a place of, of wholeness and not dysregulation and triggers. Yeah. It's, it's huge. It's the difference between those healthy, secure attachments and not. And another thing I just remembered is we don't have to be perfect parents. I started saying that and research shows that you only have to get it right 51% of the time. And so it's that getting it right that's really important as much as we can as we bring healing to our story and get tools to attune and to regulate ourselves. It's also then repairing our story. Right. Of repairing our relationship and breaking our relationship with our children by saying sorry, saying I made a mistake, I messed up, I missed you. Like we say that mm -hmm. all, the, all time. the time and showing repairs with each other too, with your spouse. Yeah. Um, our kids are so uh, aware and attuned. I don't know if some of this is hypervigilance. It's possible with our family story, but they're so aware when Luke and I have a rift in the relationship. If we just like got into a little uh, spat. Is that an old person word? Yeah, it might be. Um, or if we're actually like full-blown fighting, the kids know. Mm -hmm. They're just really aware. And it brings them all a, a big sense of insecurity. And they'll actually ask us now, which is so cool that they feel comfortable enough to say it. Like, are you guys going to make up? Are you, are you okay now? Yeah. And they always want to know when we're okay. And they always get told, yeah, we're going to make up. We're going to talk about it. We just need a breather. Or we're fine. Dad's just annoyed. Mom's just annoyed. It'll be okay. Or yes, we've already talked and we've right. It's fixed it. It's so helpful for them to see the repair of a, of adults because it's modeling to them how they they can do it with each other too. Yep. And it also brings regulation. It brings regulation because when there's that rift, not only with us to them, if they feel a rift between us as parents, yeah, that brings a dis insecurity. Mm -hmm and uncertainty 
And when we repair it and show that relationships can repair, it's also telling their brain and wearing the brain that, oh, relationships can handle conflict. Yeah, and you can actually be safe even when there's a disagreement. Yeah, or... you don't have to panic. You don't have to go into fight or flight mode yeah. or fawn. It's actually okay. So good thing we have a lot of conflict. <laughs> We've had lots, We've lots of, of practice, lots of chances to show them that. Um, I was just thinking of a example from me and my story with the kids. Um, I feel like when I see um, lack of order and chaos and just messiness, like that lack of consideration of people around them picking up their stuff, which um, having two kiddos with ADHD, they don't remember. anything literally I could lose my mind but I'm being stretched so much in that area it's so hard for me so when I see that um, I think that it really causes a lot of anger and I want to control the situation so when I look back at my story um, order and respect were of utmost importance in my home we weren't a military family but that was kind of the 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 theme like chaos not okay order the right way, do things the right way. Everything has a right way to be done and respect people. So I saw that and that was kind of shown to me as like the way and more important than people's hearts and emotions in that. Like you can, you can roll over someone in that as long as there's order, it's okay. And so um, Luke's helped me realize in, in our family I, uh, when I feel the kind of everything unraveling and the order being lost, which of course with kids that happens all the time, um, and there's just disorder around the house and people not being considerate, taking care of their stuff, it really causes anger and fear in me. Um, and I think it's more of like a childlike reaction of mine, of what I felt when that was happening in my home and the lack of control I had, and maybe even wanting to respond that way to the parents who were angry and controlling, you know, it's just, it's a cyclical effect. We, we, what we don't heal, we repeat what we don't repair. Mm. And, um, it's not original, but, uh, I think this awareness is really important to me because I'm basically doing to my kids what I experienced, which was just like the, what's it called when you like roll over, the steamrolling steam of people when there's lack of order to get order and you do it through i do it through um strength and power and control and it's i think it's scary for the kids and it's also unsettling because it it promotes that fear fight or flight response in them um, which i had as a kid a lot from that so i think it's really helpful uh for me to have that awareness mm-hmm. so that i can start being more attuned to myself when I see that chaos unfolding. Okay, Lauren, you have a, you, before the trigger, you have a uh, propensity to respond this way. Right. So what is your choice and your response going to be moving forward Mm -hmm. and an ability to tune in myself, to try softer, to be compassionate to that part of me and my story and to then from that place respond differently to the kids. Absolutely. When we, recognize why we do the things we do we realize that there is a choice mm-hmm. like that intentionality we can choose to walk away or we can choose to steamroll we can yeah. choose to yell but if we have that choice we can also choose to not do those things yeah but when we don't realize 
what we're doing. We're and just victims to our, our dysregulation. Our dysregulation because it's a response. Yeah. It's a physiological response that we're just going with. But when we're able to understand our story, we can see that there's a choice to respond this way. And it's not shameful. There's not condemnation, but we're responsible for them. Right. But we also have a choice to respond in a tune or to love and respond in a regulated, respectful, loving way. Yeah, definitely. And that's, that's powerful. It's empowering. Yeah, yeah, it really is. So what would you say for the parents out there that feel like, okay, my kids probably don't have a secure attachment. I don't see how they could. When we got married, we were a mess and we just parented kind of in survival mode and we didn't really have a good marriage. And, you know, they, they're just putting things together and they're like, gosh, I, I'm not sure that there is a secure attachment. Um, we're going to talk more about parenting in future episodes, but do you, what hope can you give? Like, is there hope? That part is really important. And it's, as a dad, it's hard to answer that question <laughs> because I struggle with that worry and concern. Yeah, as, always. Uh, when we had kids young, we were not healthy people. But I think that there's hope in the sense that our brains are very moldable. Mm -hmm. They have lots of plasticity, so they can be reprogrammed and re- Wired. Wired. And so as we, we can, re, we can parent our parent, our kids differently from this point on, mm -hmm. we can take steps. Um, we can say, sorry, we can say sorry for specific things. We don't want to say sorry for general things. Mm -hmm. We want Get to be super specific, specific with our kids, whether they're old and out of the house or still young and in the house that if there's things in your mind that you're having to apologize for, Go back and apologize for them. Age appropriately. You don't want to overwhelm them. You don't want to bombard them. But apologize. And then intentionally make choices to change. Again, our brains can be rewired. So our, brain, our kids' brains are not destined and stuck where they're at today. They can change. There's also the ability to earn a secure attachment. So cool. And which talks towards that plasticity. So I just want to read something real quick. Why is it important for you to look at your story? Because you can't earn a secure attachment without looking at your story. Uh, one place uh, says that um, as an adult, earning a secure attachment style involves reconciling childhood experiences and making sense of the impact of a person's past has on their present and future. To earn, secure earn security, you have to develop a coherent narrative about what happened to you as a child. And we can't give what we don't have. Nope. So we have to be able to have the ability to earn a secure attachment, which is doing these things. And we found that at verywellmind.com. And to help our kids earn a secure attachment, they have to they move their story from unsafe, unseen, and unsoothed to feeling safe, seen, and soothed. And so we have to, as parents, shift and create safety for our kids. But again, we can't do that if we don't have the ability to earn secure attachment because our attachment is placed on our children. 
we have an insecure attachment, we're parenting from that insecure attachment. So we have to do our story work so we have the capacity and the ability to earn a secure attachment. Mm -hmm. And then we can offer that to our children's, our kids, in an environment that is safe, seen, and soothed. Yeah, and I think it's important to know you don't you don't earn the secure attachment with your parents necessarily. There right. could be repair of that relationship, but oftentimes adults that are going from insecure to securely attached, which is called that earned secure attachment, it's done in the presence of another safe adult. So usually a spouse, but if you're single, it's still possible to earn secure attachment with with other relationships that are safe, attuned very intentional relationships to right. to begin to heal that attachment that broken attachment in you so like what luke's saying just to, to recap we can only give what we've experienced so we cannot if we look at this parenting episode and think goodness i'm not sure all my kids are securely attached or i'm not sure any of them are you first it's not like something you can you know hand deliver in a package to them you have to experience it wholeheartedly through and through your 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 person your spirit so that you can have that secure attachment parent from that and then you can help your kids as you're growing it doesn't have to be after but as you're growing and healing you can begin to parent in a way mm -hmm, that they are earning their secure attachment already um, as children they don't have to wait till they're 30 years old and in counseling and broken like do it now start now well said for everybody that's listening, uh, know that you're not alone and that the challenges of parenting, uh, it's hard. Just don't it's give up. It's brutal. It is brutal. <laughs> and just parenting, but then after also addressing your story. Mm-hmm. It's brave and courageous work. Yeah, have compassion. You're worth it. Your kids are worth it. And just continue doing that hard journey. You're not your, alone. your story matters. That's right. While it is a joy to provide our podcast content as a source of life enrichment, please note that information shared is not intended to replace or contradict any professional therapy or medical advice.